I just want to extend another hearty welcome to everyone joining in on our worship service. It's great to be able to worship together. Uh, thank you also for Susan and Sarah and for all of your efforts behind the scenes. And although they are the ones that have been leading us into praise and we see them in the video, uh, I would be remiss to mention uh, there are so many other people who are actually helping out behind the scenes. Our sister Sally was the one who actually processed and rendered the video. So if you ever see her in one of these virtual meetings, uh, please don't forget to express your gratitude towards her. And even this week, uh, we are starting a new sermon series and the new uh, design of these slides, all of this was prepared and selected by our sister Wynn, who happens to be doing the live stream right now. So if anything bad happens, we know whom to blame. Just a, just a joke, Wynn, no pressure. You're doing a great job. And also our brother Simeon, who's really the, the guy behind all the scenes, sort of the mastermind behind everything that we do here. So don't forget to express your appreciation to some of these individuals. And if you want to be a part of what we do, please do not hesitate to reach out. We would love to get you involved. There are so many different ways that we can make this worship experience more engaging, and I'm sure we could use your help. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to extend a hearty welcome. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we are starting a new sermon series, and the sermon series is called From Outbreak to Breakthrough. Uh, obviously, the outbreak in some sense relates to the COVID-19 crisis pandemic. It is truly a, an outbreak. However, one of the things that we have been learning through this crisis, and again, I don't want to underestimate any of the heartaches that people have been experiencing, is it's been really uncovering and exposing some really pressing and important matters that we typically ignore on an everyday basis because life before COVID-19 felt like we had it completely under control. So I look at this outbreak season as an, actually an opportunity for breakthrough. Maybe God is doing a new thing in many people's lives. And as I've been um, connecting with some of us individually in small group settings as well, that's exactly what I've been hearing from your very own lips is although this is a very uncomfortable season, and as our brother Eugene prayed, it is truly uh, a difficult season. We definitely still sense God doing a new thing in our lives and how he is creating and setting the stage for various breakthroughs. So the topic of today's sermon is going to be on routine. Um, it is called Creatures of Habit. And just to give you a preview of some of the other topics and sermons that we'll be covering in this From Outbreak to Breakthrough sermon series, uh, today we're going to do uh, we're going to focus on the importance of routine. Next week, we're going to talk about creatures of community. How can we still be social beings despite social distancing, especially in a biblical perspective? Uh, overcoming adversity. Uh, a lot of us are experiencing various types of adversities. How do we cope with this? And does the gospel give us a better way to cope with the everyday adversities? Overcoming death. Death has become such a more real prospect in, the, in light of these times, and we want to talk and address, does the gospel say anything about death or overcoming conflict? I know for many of us, being at home actually presents a lot of drama. There's a lot of conflicts, a lot of tensions in some of these relationships, and how do we overcome such conflicts? And lastly, overcoming your mind. Um, I do understand with me mental health conditions are being exasperated due to the new living conditions that we're experiencing. So we are going to talk about, does the gospel say anything about things like depression, anxiety, or any other things that have been plaguing our minds? 
So, like I mentioned, for today, the emphasis is on routine, creatures of habit. And although a lot of these topics are very pressing during this time in the COVID-19 crisis, these are also topics that are really important for our everyday living. And I'm going to talk about throughout the sermon series how they are really core to what we are as human beings. And the gospel actually speaks very powerfully in each and every one of these topics. Um, before I pray to begin the sermon, I do want to alert us once again to question and answer. All of these text messages that are sent to that phone number are anonymous. So if you have any questions about the sermon, about the sermon series, about our community, or if you have any general prayer requests, please feel free to text these away. We will review all these during service. Uh, I know our brother Fraser texted some prayer requests last week, and we were able to connect with them during one of the worship drop-ins this past week. And it really sees, seems like God is answering these prayers. So please uh, do not hesitate to text away any of these messages to us. Let me pray for us one more time, and then I'll begin the sermon. Uh, Father, we just want to thank you again more than anything else for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, because although you are a holy God and we are approaching you, trying to worship you, trying to glorify you, we know left to ourselves, we have no right to be in your holiness. We have no right to expect that your presence would be grace upon us. But we thank you that we come not based on who we are or how good of a Christian we are or how morally upright we are, but we come by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who has washed away all of our sins. We come by the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, that enables us, that motivates us to put our eyes and our desires off of the things that pertain to us and instead to fix our gaze upon you so that you can receive worship. So we pray that you'll be glorified as we once again are reminded of your perfect character, your intense loving involvement in our lives, especially in the area of routine where this crisis has truly disrupted our weekly daily schedules. We pray that you would be able to remind us why routine is not only beneficial to us, but why it can actually be glorifying and worshipful to you as well. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So I know with the topic of routine and habits, uh, you can go in a variety of different directions, but for the purposes of this sermon, I'm really going to talk about two different perspectives. Uh, but before I do, I want to read the scripture passage for us, which comes from Genesis chapter 1. And for many of us, it's a familiar passage. Uh, we went over this in our Bible exploration last summer. It's been part of our sermon series. But this chapter is rich with so many profound implications. So we're going to look at this specifically in light of what does this passage, Genesis chapter 1, God's first introduction of himself to humanity, what does it say about God's character, specifically in the area of God being a God of routine? Because you're going to look at six days of creation. First day is the day where God creates light. But the fourth day is a day where God fills that light with the stars of the universe, including the sun, also including other types of light, moon. And there's a pattern because the second day is a day where God creates the expanse, which is another word for sky and waters. But the fifth day is a day where he fills the sky, the expanse with flying creatures. And in the waters, God fills that with creatures of the water. In the third day, God creates land, dry, um, dry land. And in the sixth day, it's a day where God fills that land 
with the beasts of the field and ultimately with humanity. So even in the ways that we see God's first introduction to himself, uh, of himself to humanity, we see that there is order, there is a sense of routine, there is definitely a discernible pattern. And we're going to take a look at this and unpack all of these implications. So let me read the passage for us. But I wanted to provide that preview so that you can see these different type of patterns for yourself as I read the text. So Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And boom, there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse, which again is another word for the sky, in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, second day. Again, there is a clear rhythm, a pattern. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And boom, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their kinds and the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day now we come to days four five and six which really populates and fills the things that God correspondingly created in days 1, 2, and 3. So starting with verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for seasons, or for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was all good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Now we're going into the final day of creation, day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness and let them have dominion over the sea of, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, human, in God's own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with it with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything that he made, behold, it was very good. And there is evening and there is morning, the sixth day. Uh, Amen. Praise be to God for the word of God. Um, And like I mentioned, when we talk about the topic of routine and habits, very important, very urgent, very practical, very biblical is what I'm going to argue throughout the sermon. But there are really two perspectives that I want us to emphasize. And the first perspective that I will talk about in this sermon is routines are truly beneficial to us. No doubt about it. And here I'm going to draw upon a lot of things that even non-Christians would agree upon. You can Google some of these things yourself. Routines are very beneficial to us for us to be productive, for us to have meaning in life, for us to feel happy, all these different things. But the second perspective, which is where I'm going to spend most of the time, is routines are actually very worshipful to God. Not only are routines very beneficial to us from a practical standpoint, but more importantly, and this is why this can be preached as a sermon instead of some self-help guide, is routines are worshipful to God. And this perspective is something that I feel like a lot of us lack. And part of it is because of our very short-sighted way of understanding the gospel. So here in the second part, I want to bring in what does the gospel say about the importance of routines? So like I mentioned before, I'm going to first focus on the first perspective. Routines are beneficial to us. Um, And yes, how are they beneficial to us? The first one is routine and success. There is a very strong correlation with successful people and the routines of their lives. Uh, There are a lot of famous people. Some of them have very interesting routines. A lot of these routines vary. So for instance, Jane Austen, one of the most influential writers, one of her routines was as soon as she woke up in the morning, immediately, she wouldn't start writing, she wouldn't eat breakfast, immediately she'll start playing the piano. For whatever reason, playing the keys, being able to express her musical talents, really just um, triggered her creative juices. Uh, We have other types of routines. Um, Beethoven, for instance, in his routine, part of it was a lot of long walks. Part of his routine was at a fixed portion of his day, he would have a glass of wine, and in the evening, he would have some beer. Very fixed routine. Um, other routines, Winston Churchill, his routine was very, in some ways, amusing. He would wake up at 7.30 in the morning, but he actually wouldn't leave his bed till 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning, because most of the time in the morning, he would be eating breakfast in bed, he will be ordering his secretaries what they need to do, all from his bed. I found that pretty comical. Uh, I think for a lot of routine, especially nowadays, is the first thing you do is you do your 
workout. You exercise physically. This is Barack Obama's routine. Before he did anything, he would start working out. Uh, even for myself, before the kids, when I was working in software development, the first thing that I would do was I would drive to the gym. I would wake up at 5 in the morning. I would hit the gym, do my workouts. I would get to the office. I would get to the office maybe around 6.30ish, be the first person in the office. And during those first two hours where nobody else was in the office, maybe two and a half hours, I got more work done during those couple hours than the rest of the day. So routine, if you are able to carve out routine, yes, it is truly one of the key ingredients to be successful. There is a strong correlation between routine and success. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we can implement our own practical routines in a second, but I want to move into another area of not only is routine beneficial to us because it yields success, but routines are actually beneficial to us for a deeper reason. And it's because it is very intrinsic to what it means to be a human. Uh, we got a hint of this in Genesis chapter 1, where God is the God of routine. I'm going to unpack that in a second. And God created humanity in his own image. So one of the things that we inherited from God is the importance of routine. When we do things, we also are creatures of habit in many ways. And one of the ways that I really understood how routine was so core to being simply a human being was I remember when I became um, a parent and we were expecting Jude, our firstborn. He's 10 years old. So this was over a decade ago. And we were one of the first people, Jeannie and myself, among our peers who had um, who were expecting. So we didn't know what it would entail. Um, we never... <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way. We never owned a pet, so we didn't know. Like we didn't know how to take care of another living creature, let alone our own child. So Jeannie, she wanted to read a lot of books, but for me, for whatever reason, I just felt like if God was going to make me a dad, He would give me the instinctive whatever that I need to be able to make the right decisions and to be able to be a good parent. Um, so I didn't read any of the books about how to be a parent, first-time parents, those type of things. What I did was I actually read scripture more. So I would meditate, reflect upon scripture more and more. And when we had the firstborn, Jude, it was a little difficult because um, part of the, the way we raised Jude, our firstborn, was Jeannie's parents were heavily involved in the child-rearing process. And in some ways, it made things a little bit complicated. In other ways, it was definitely helpful. But... Um, as far as establishing a routine for Jude, it was very difficult because all the things that I wanted to do, because in my mind, I felt like as humans, we need some sense of order. We need some sense of routine, even if you are an infant. But for her parents, they definitely thought that I was being a little too narrow-minded. Um, so with Jude, it was difficult. But after the first few weeks, once I was able to have a little bit more say into the way that I... Um, was rearing Jude as an infant, I established a routine. It was a very simple routine. It was basically just trying to establish the circadian rhythm in his life. Um, you know, circadian rhythm, the natural rhythm of, of the morning with the sunlight and the evening when the sun sets. And I wanted to establish some, something like that. So very simply, every time the sun would break in the day, I would wash his face. 
uh, very gently, a cloth with warm water. I'll wash his face and I would play music, like dance music, very upbeat music. I would turn all the lights, I'll open all the curtains, and I would be very animated in my interactions with him. Lots of eye contact, the volume of my voice would fluctuate, and all these different things. But then once evening drew, and once the sun began to set, I would do a very simple routine. All of a sudden, the music would be uh, lullabies. Uh, I would dim or turn off all the lights. I would not make eye contact with Jude. And all of my interactions and communication, instead of a loud, booming, animated voice, I would be speaking in tender whispers. And slowly but surely, he was able to recognize this. And he was able to recognize that there was some type of pattern, some type of order in his life with Juliet, my second born, immediately. Uh, from the first day, I established a routine because at this point, her parents were not as involved. With Jubilee, our third child, established a routine immediately. In, in fact, I would keep a journal of everything about my kids, their inf my infants, their eating habit, how much they ate, how much milk they consumed, their stool, so how, what color was the stool, the texture of their stool, if they urinated. Um, and I would keep a log that would record at least every single hour of their existence up until they were about a year old each. And I know that sounds a little obsessive, but one of the things I noticed with that is immediately, even as infants, they need routine. They need some sense of order. Each one of my kids, within a few weeks, they began sleeping through the night. Jubilee, the first week, she began sleeping through the night. Juliet, within the first month or within the first few weeks, she began sleeping through the night. Jude, it took a little longer because of the things I mentioned. Within the first month and a half, he began sleeping through the night. Their routines were established. They were, they were scheduled so nicely. And some of my friends, they were skeptical when they saw Jude sleep through the night. And when he had that routine, he just said, oh, you're, you're just lucky with the first child. Wait until you get your second. It got even easier with the second child. Then they said, wait until you got, get your third. And even with Jubilee, from day one, she established a routine. One of my friends, who was really skeptical, but at the same time, she was very intrigued. She didn't think it was possible for her child to have some type of routine. But she actually did the things that I did with Juliet Jubilee. And lo and behold, within a few weeks, marked improvement even in their routine as well. And I also remember as I was part of um, my old church serving as an interim staff. And one of the biggest pain points when I joined staff was I said, hey, what is the biggest pain point in this community, in your ministry? Let me tackle that. Let me just try to alleviate your burdens as much as possible. And all of them, everyone in that staff, there are three people, they pointed at the children's ministry. Because at my old church, in our children's ministry, we had about 40 kids all within the age of zero to seven years old. And that's pretty ridiculous. About 40 kids in that age group. And we only had one full-time staff to manage all of that. And the biggest pain point within the children's ministry was specifically people who are around the, uh, who are toddlers, which is around the age of one, all the way to the age of three. Because at this point, separation anxiety was at its peak. So kids, they would refuse to leave and be separated from the presence of his or her parent. And this was the age group. We had about 10 of these kids. 
And they said, okay, if you really want to address our biggest pain point, please address our toddlers, our two-year-olds, because they can't be separated from their parents. And therefore, when the parents try to worship, it's really difficult. They're distracted because they're constantly trying to feed the kids. They're trying to soothe the kids. They can't pay attention to the sermon, so on and so forth. So for me, I'm thinking, okay, I know what it's like to, be, to have been a parent. I've been there. Let me focus on how I can address these kids. And man, first month, it was brutal. Crying babies for a full 45 minutes. I was every single Sunday, migraine headaches. But one thing I knew was human beings, no matter what age group you are, whether you're a successful CEO or whether you're a newborn infant or whether you're a crying toddler, everybody needs a sense of routine. So what I did was I created a schedule. So for that one hour that I had with them, I broke it up into 15 minute intervals because their attention span if you're lucky, you can get 15 minutes. So I'm constantly doing something. 15 minutes of snacks, 15 minutes of nursery rhymes, 15 minutes of playing with toys, 15 minutes of me making a fool out of myself. But basically, there was an established routine. We will sing the same songs every week. We would eat the same snacks every week. And one thing that I recognize is the same babies, the same toddlers who are crying their heads off during week one and two. As we were practicing this routine, by the end of the month, they were looking forward to our time in children's ministry. And some of these kids, man, individually, these toddlers, they themselves have a clockwork routine. There are at least two of them. Every Sunday morning, after the parents drop them off, they would poop and I would change their diaper. Every single week, it was literally clockwork. And all this to say is routine, habit, all these different things, it is so core, intrinsic, to who we are as human beings. And why is this relevant to us today is when we think about routine and success, routine and it being intrinsic, intrinsic to our humanity, we also have to recognize why COVID-19 has been a crisis and why for many of us, even though you haven't been infected by the COVID-19 and even though maybe job-wise you're fine, but something about this social distancing has been very disruptive, why? Because of the measures that we're taking as a society, it has been truly disruptive to our routine. And if you are a creature of habit, which all of us are, if you are a human being, which all of us are, and if your routine is being disrupted, then that has profound ripple implications to all areas of our lives. Implications that we probably can't even anticipate. So simple things, for instance, not being able to enjoy your commute to work. Yes, it's a benefit because it saves time, it saves your gas money, but not being able to listen to your favorite podcast or the scripture reading on audio or your favorite praise music or whatever it is on your way to work, that disrupts you. And that being taken away, you don't know what those implications are. Not being able to eat at your favorite restaurant. Maybe there's a place that you've been eating once a week. Or maybe there's a type of food that you've been craving. Not being able to do that. As creatures of habit, as humans of routine, that is very disruptive. And the disruption has profound implications. Uh, not being able to go to the gym. Not being able to do all these different things. And that's the reason why for many of us, even if you are working, you feel a little disconnected. You feel a little lost. Next week, I'm going to talk about the social implications of that. But today, the focus is simply by virtue of our routine being disrupted. 
it has truly profound implications. And many of us, we might feel, unsurprisingly, very lost, disconnected, especially in our relationship with God even. So just as a practical pointer, I'm not going to talk about this too long because that's not really the heart of this sermon. I will offer some practical tips in terms of really reestablishing your routine. And routine, let me just provide four quick tips. First one is routine. It sounds oxymoronic, but routines are meant to be readjusted constantly. So as you go through different seasons of life, as there are different external circumstances in your life, you need to adjust your routine. Sometimes you need to keep a routine, but in other ways you need to adjust your routine. So for instance, for me, all my life, I was the type of guy who would, as soon as I wake up, I would hit the showers. Um, so if I wanted to implement a workout routine, then I would work out in the morning and I will hit the showers. And for whatever reason, I'm a morning shower type of guy. But through this COVID-19 crisis, I realized with being with the kids at home um, and other factors, now I have actually adjusted my routine and I am an evening shower person. And it took a little bit to get used to, but now I shower in the evenings. Uh, constantly, we need to be readjusting your routine. So even for some of us, we may have a pretty good routine. There might be some different habits, but even right now, in light of this current situation, look, are there situations, are there opportunities where maybe you do need to adjust? The second tip that I'll offer is not only are routines meant to be readjusted, but routines, if you want to establish new ones, do it incrementally. So for instance, um, I'm a morning person. I used to be a morning person, not so much anymore. But let's say I want to wake up at 5 in the morning again. Um, and I'm waking up at 8 in the morning now. Don't all of a sudden make it your goal to wake up 5 in the morning the next day. Because you're probably going to set yourself up for failure. And you're probably going to live that rest of the day feeling really excessively sleepy. Instead, if you want to establish new routines, the best way to go is establish them incrementally. So maybe tomorrow morning, I don't wake up at 5 in the morning. I don't set the alarm for 5, but maybe I set the alarm for 7.45 or 7.30. And I work my way up eventually until my body can be adjusted to a routine. Because again, routines are very disruptive. And we don't know those profound implications. The third suggestion, the third practical tip is whatever routine that you want to set up. If you want it to be really effective, the more social ties that that routine has, the more effective it is. So some of us, for instance, who love to go to the gym, one of the ties that enable you to go to the gym so consistently is because you have friends at the gym, or maybe you have a workout buddy, or maybe you are working out with somebody else independently, you guys are going to two separate gyms, but you see each other every single week. So when you see each other, there is a subtle accountability because you guys are kind of looking at each other, making sure that you're not putting on too many pounds, those type of things. Whatever routine you want to implement, having a social dimension to it will make it much more effective. Uh, even for myself, like I mentioned a month ago, when I was trying to adjust to the new COVID-19 life, it was very difficult. And what actually helped me was the worship drop-ins, the social connections that I had within this uptown community. Social ties, if you can somehow weave it into your routine, it will make it that much more effective. And the fourth practical tip that I'll mention before we move on to the bulk of the sermon is 
the idea of really establishing your circadian rhythm, especially during this COVID-19 social distancing time. Uh, really establishing your morning routine and your evening routine. Uh, I know right now there might be people who are having trouble falling asleep, and it's really understandable. Um, even when I look at some of the statistics that they're drawing in America, um, the electricity usage between 7 and 9 a.m. has dropped drastically. And basically, this research is showing that all of us globally were waking up much later. Um, and yeah, that's just one of the implications of the social distancing. But make sure that you still sleep at a reasonable time. Even for myself, I used to have a really hard time falling asleep. One of the things that I've done for myself is making sure I work out because I need to spend my um, physical energy so that by the time I hit the bed, I feel exhausted. Um, another thing that I do is I don't drink or consume any caffeine after 3 p.m. Um, the third thing that I do is I try to limit any blue light exposure. So any screen time, whether it's on the computer or on your phone. And for me, I constantly need to be doing research. So on your computer or on your phone, there are apps where it actually limits the blue light or you can look at things in grayscale. Uh, the glasses I have right now, the lens, the lens actually has a special feature where it blocks out blue light. Um, so that is actually really helpful. Um, another tip that I would mention as far as really being able to fall asleep at night because I think that's so crucial is actually ensuring that you wake up at a fixed time every single day. Um, and you may wonder, what does your what does your wake-up time have to do with you falling asleep? Psychologically, what happens when you try to go to bed is psychologically, in your subconscious, if you know that you can wake up whenever you want, there is no urgency for you to fall asleep. So try it. If you're having a hard time falling asleep, try setting a fixed alarm setting every single day. And as soon as that alarm hits, wake up. Because what you're training your subconscious of your mind, which is really powerful, very deep, what you're training your subconscious is at night, if you know that you're going to wake up at the sound of that alarm, man, your brain is going to want to shut down and get as much rest as possible. So those are a few things that I've done even in my own life. Again, every person is different, but maybe those things can be applicable to you. But everything that I mentioned about routine being beneficial to us. You can Google this on your own. You can get this from some self-help podcast or whatever. So I don't want to spend too much time here. What I really want to focus on is not that routines are beneficial to us, but what I really want to focus on is routines are worshipful to God. And this is probably a perspective that we hardly ever think about. And I want to make these two distinctions very clear. At the end of the sermon, I'll explain why this difference makes um, why this difference is really important. But this distinction, you're going to see me talking about this in every one of the topics and sermons in this sermon series because it is so important um, in order for us to better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So routines being worshipful to God. Uh, the first thing that we saw with Genesis chapter 1 is routine in God's character. Why is routine so intrinsic to our humanity? 
so intrinsic to our human nature simply because routine is intrinsic to God's very own character. We saw this in Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to reread it. It was pretty lengthy. And for many of us, we might be familiar with it. But again, Genesis chapter 1, God's first impression, him introducing himself to all of humanity. And what he wants to establish is he is a God of order. He is a God of routine. Like I mentioned, day one, two, three, four, five, and six, there is a discernible pattern. It's not a chapter where we're supposed to try to dissect scientifically. It's a chapter that reveals the character of God. Day one, he creates light, the idea of light. Day four, or I'm sorry, day four, he populates that light with the stars, with the sun, with the moon. Day two, he creates the expanse, the sky, the waters. Day five, he populates the expanse, the sky, the waters with the living creatures, the birds of the air, and the swarming um, creatures of the sea. Day three, he creates land. And what does he do in day six? He populates that land with the beasts of the, the, the land, the livestock, and ultimately humanity. What we see is God is a God of routine. He is a God of order. Every single day, what does he say? Man, this work was good. Every single day you see the circadian rhythm established, it was evening and it was day. Every single day you see God establishing some type of routine, some type of habit. Notice the way that he created creatures. It wasn't just willy-nilly, but each time he created a creature, he wanted it to multiply. He wanted the creatures, the, even the trees, the plants to be very diverse. So he created them according to their kind, according to its kind. We see that our God intrinsically inherent to his character. He is also a God of routine. And therefore, it's no surprise that as humans were created in his image, we also love and relish in routine as well. Now, obviously, routine can be distorted and can be abused. It can be idolized. And that's why we have some issues there. But for the most part, a healthy, balanced routine is truly a godly thing. But not only is routine intrinsic to God's character, but because routine is intrinsic to God's character, routine, you see it in all of the ways that God is involved in human history. So even if you look at the biblical history, and for those of us who are following the Bible reading plan, you're going to be able to track with me instantaneous, instantaneously. In every major era of biblical history, you see a routine is established. We just looked at the creation. I mean, that is a very defining watershed moment. God created everything. Routine. When Israel becomes a nation, what do we see? A routine in the Mosaic Law. The festivals need to be observed at very fixed time of the year. The sacrifices need to be practiced with very specific details based on the type of animal, based upon the type of the, the, how many times you sprinkle the blood, the location, all these different things. All these things, when Israel becomes a nation, God established a routine. When Israel creates a temple, another major era in biblical history, we see, again, routine order being established. The dimensions of the temple having to be very fixed. The precise details of the measurements, the material, the gold, the acacia wood, all these different things. We see God's routine, His character being expressed. When Jesus Christ becomes flesh, 
we see him also being a person, a God of routine as well. He is constantly, we see him, uh, we find him praying in solitude. He is always teaching in the synagogues, most likely because in his routine, he is obsessed and really reflecting and meditating upon the word of God. He is constantly teaching, constantly healing, constantly discipling. We see even in Jesus' ministry, there is routine. Another major era in biblical history, the birth of the church. You see this in the opening chapters of Acts. There is routine even in the way that the church is born. In some ways, church is almost like an infant, and we need the church to have a routine. Acts chapter 2, the breaking of bread every single time they gathered, adhering to the apostles' teaching, praying, giving, sharing, all these different things. We see routine is not only intrinsic to God's character, but because it's intrinsic to God's character, we see that being expressed in the ways that God is involved in the course of human history. Now, if you've been with us, um, especially in a lot of our drop-ins, sermons, those type of things, you would notice that I say these two words very frequently. God's character and God's involvement. Because part of worship, what is worship? Worship isn't just singing your favorite praise songs. Praise songs is an example of worship. But at its essence, worship is not simply singing songs. Worship is not simply offering some type of sacrifice. Worship essentially, if you want to define it, is truly embracing, acknowledging, and submitting to God's character and His involvement in your life. The more you are aware, the more you submit, the more you relish, the more you embrace, the more you are thankful and responsive to God's character and His involvement. That is essentially what worship is. That's what we're doing when we sing songs. That's what we're doing when we're praying. That's what we're doing literally. And anything that we try to do to glorify honor God, it has to begin with us first responding to God's character and His involvement in our lives. So for instance, as an example to kind of illustrate this, uh, we've been spending a lot of family time. I've been loving our family time. And I think I mentioned this maybe in the previous weeks. One of the things I've been noticing with my kids is their sense of humor is developing. Their personalities, I see it unfolding before my very own eyes. That's a really, I guess it's scary, but at the same time, it's also very um, endearing as well. And if you, I don't know if you know this about me, but growing up, I was somewhat of a class clown. I was a troublemaker. I was known for having a very, um, I was, I was known, my sense of humor was very sarcastic and very witty. So even in my home, for instance, I'm the youngest of four, so we had a family of six, a lot of tension. Uh, not, not many, we didn't really smile, we didn't really laugh much. Uh, family life was very, very tough. But my siblings would always turn to me as the person who can lighten the mood, who can crack the joke or whatever. Uh, that's the way I was in school. That's the way I was really in, in um, yeah, my, my younger version, I guess. And one of the things that I found so endearing, and I'll be honest, I feel a little honored, is when I see one of my kids and they are putting on a show, making everybody laugh at the dinner table. Uh, our Juliet, she has quite the sense of humor. She's doing all these impersonations. She's impersonating me. 
in some ways, I'm a little offended because I'm thinking, hey, I'm your dad. You need to respect me. But really, underlying that, I'll be honest, I felt so honored because I saw my character in her. And not to sound narcissistic, but something about that, I felt honored. When you do your routine or whenever you express abilities or whatever that is really from God and that is really God's own character, when God sees that, He is honored. He is glorified just like the way I was honored, even though Juliet was making everybody laugh at my own expense. Seeing that type of sense of humor, man, I felt really honored by that. God's involvement. Another illustration is now the kids see that every meal that they eat, there's, there's work involved behind that. It's not just you pop it in the microwave. They see us mixing things, cutting things, washing things, frying things, putting things. Well, most of it, we just put it in our air fryer. But still, they see us working. And when they see us being involved in trying to cook these meals and prepare these meals, one of the things I sense from our kids is they're so much more thankful. They have a heart of gratitude. So every dinner time or every meal time, because it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner that we have to cook, they would come and Jubilee is always the best one saying, thank you, mommy, for cooking all this. Thank you, daddy, for doing this. And one of the things that we see as our worship to God is when we see God's involvement, then, and if we're aware of his character, it truly brings so much honor to God. That is truly what worship is. Now, I will mention, um, just because in our emails, somebody asked within the sermon series, if we can talk about spiritual disciplines. And I didn't want to have a separate sermon on spiritual disciplines, uh, especially because I feel like we can talk about it within this top, bigger topic of routine. So let me just quickly touch upon spiritual disciplines. Uh, if you are struggling with spiritual disciplines, then please uh, adhere to the things I mentioned in the more practical section, the first part of the sermon about incremental changes. So let's say you're going from zero. Don't try to do spiritual disciplines, reading um, full-length passages and doing these in-depth studies. Just start with baby steps. So make incremental changes. Another tip that I would offer you with spiritual discipline is making sure that you readjust so as your lifestyle changes, when you get a new job or whatever, as your schedule fluctuates, don't be afraid to adjust the way you practice your own spiritual disciplines. Um, the third thing that I'll reiterate is make sure you have some type of social dimension. So for instance, reading the Bible, a lot of us are saying that we have never, went, uh, we have never made it this far in our Bible reading plan. I'm very encouraged. And one of the reasons why is because you're reading the Bible not by yourself. You're reading within a community. We talk about it every Sunday. We talk about it three times a week during our worship drop-ins. You talk about it with your small group. You have that Bible app and you're able to make comments. So whatever spiritual discipline you're trying to practice and maintain, make sure you have some type of social tie, connect it to the life of the church, connect it to the life of your small group, and try to have some accountability partners. Uh, spiritual disciplines are absolutely important. And therefore, the last thing that I'll mention with them is try to bake it in within your circadian rhythm. So for instance, as soon as you wake up, everybody should have a morning routine. And we should also now start establishing an evening routine. One very easy way of making sure that you're disciplined in your spiritual disciplines is uh, baking it into your morning and evening routine. So maybe reading a passage uh, for five minutes and lifting up a quick prayer 
before you do anything. Um, and maybe you do the same thing before you go to sleep. So for instance, with our Bible reading plan, it probably takes about 10 minutes to simply read the the daily passage passages. It doesn't take that long. Split it up. Five minutes in the morning, you read, you lift up a quick prayer. Five minutes at night, lift up a quick prayer. Uh, not only individually, but also communally. We have a weekly rhythm. So Sunday, worship, that's truly important. If you want to establish a spiritual discipline, Sunday worship is really, really imperative. And that's why, biblically speaking, we have so many passages where it talks about the emphasis of not only Sunday services, but especially hearing the preaching of the Word. Also, throughout the week, with Monday, Wednesday, Friday, our drop-ins, with Impact Group, if you're not part of a small group, please let us know. But literally, with the way Uptown is structured, you can have at least, potentially, five gatherings a week where you're engaged in the Word where you're praying and where you're receiving the love of Christ. Uh, Implementing that, I'm sure, will help even with your own personal spiritual discipline. But the last thing that I want to mention with spiritual discipline, however, is I think really important and is something that is not emphasized enough. Um, Is why are you doing your spiritual disciplines? And this comes back to the distinction between are you doing it because it's beneficial for you or are you doing it to worship God? Now, all of us were trained to say, oh, yeah, of course, we're doing it to worship God. But just think about it for a second. Why is it that you find your spiritual disciplines unmotivating? It's because you don't get anything out of it. You don't get anything out of it. It's really centered on yourself. Uh, why is it that whenever people ask you, how are your spiritual disciplines going? Immediately, we don't say, oh, it's, I don't know, but I'm worshiping God and because of that, I'm satisfied. No, we often say, oh, I feel like it's not very meaningful. It's always centered around us and our own benefits. Uh, I remember as a high school student, starting grade 10, man, I was so good with spiritual disciplines in one sense, but in a very immature sense. And I'm going to explain this in the next part of the sermon, is as a grade 10, I would spend at least an hour and a half in my devotions. 30 minutes of Bible reading and studying, uh, and one hour of prayer. Uh, My mom would be wondering, what is this boy praying about? And I would do this very consistently for the duration of my high school years. So for three years, I was spending at least an hour a day with the Lord, in the Word, and in prayer. But let me tell you, I was very immature. It's not because my interpretations of scripture were shallow or because my prayers were not passionate. No, I was passionate. I was understanding scripture, all these different things. But I was immature because the reason why I was doing this was because it was benefiting me. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was getting so much out of it. And in some ways, God wants us to place our joy in him. But never did it actually meaningfully cross my mind that I'm actually engaged in spiritual disciplines, not for my own sake or for my own benefit, but to actually honor and worship and glorify God. And I'll be honest, now that I am much older and I've gone through various seasons of life, university years, what it's like to be a young adult, what it's like to have a full-time job, what it's like to feel like you have um, more than a full-time job, what it's like to be a spouse, what it's like to be a parent, a parent of three kids, all these different things I've experienced in life. And I recognize 
that if you truly want to be faithful in your spiritual disciplines, your own benefit cannot be the prime motivating factor. Your prime motivating factor has to be, I'm actually reading this passage, not simply for myself, because I just want to honor God. I just want to spend time with Him, and I want Him to recognize that I would rather spend these five minutes with Him than anything else. And when you have that type of perspective where it's more about worshiping God, that actually is a much more enduring motivation. And that leads us to the last portion of our sermon. And this is why I mentioned earlier, the two perspectives. Yes, with routine, spiritual disciplines. Next, we're going to talk about communal, social life. All these things, we can look at it as it benefiting us, for sure. And there are benefits. Or we can look at them, and they're not mutually exclusive by any means, as worship to God. And you may be wondering, why is this important? What difference does it make that I understand this distinction And let me illustrate this because this is where the gospel really addresses certain things. The first one is maturity. So for instance, if you're immature, what are you going to be motivated by? You're going to be motivated not by worshiping God. You're going to be motivated by your own benefits. So even in this message, and again, we welcome all newcomers, all visitors, non-Christians, Christians alike. Please don't look at this as a judgment. I'm not morally judging you. But if your understanding of the gospel is not that is not that deep or whatever, if you're not really submitting to the gospel, then yeah, you're going to do routine simply to benefit yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. If that's where you are, then that's fine. But if you are maturing in the gospel, that cannot be your prime motivation. Um, it reminds me of a story. One time I was studying at Starbucks and there was a parent who, lo- who had a kid. And the kid was probably like uh, seven, eight years old. And the parent looked like he was working because she had her business attire. She had her laptop, her headset on, all those different things. And the kid started to um, um, like go through a tantrum. And the mom said, hey, we talked about this. Like, we, mommy needs to work. You need to focus. And, you know, the kid was throwing a tantrum. And the mommy said, okay. Like, maybe I'll give you a cake pop so that as you eat this cake pop, you can enjoy your video time more. So maybe mommy can do some work. And then the kid responded very well. And the kid got the cake pop watching the video. And it looked like everything was harmonious until the kid finished the cake pop. And then the kid was getting bored of the tablet. And then another tantrum. And I was thinking about that. And wow, I was thinking, that's so mu- that, that's us, isn't it? We're that petulant child where we will only behave, we will only do what our parent says, only if it benefits us. Mom, I know you're important, I know your job is important, and I know your job is what enables us to have food at the, on the table, but guess what? I'm only going to behave myself as long as I have this cake pop and as long as this tablet entertains me. As soon as these things run out, I could care less about your job. That's what this child was saying. And essentially, I feel like many of us, we may not be that immature child asking for cake pops, but in our understanding of the gospel in this Christian life, wow, that child is a mirror to all of us. Whether it's in the area of routine, spiritual disciplines, whatever it is, many times we are faithful to it only if it benefits us. And we don't really care whether or not God is being honored or glorified. 
That is our sinful tendency. And this is where the gospel is so important, and especially the five basic food groups of the gospel. Again, I know we have some newcomers, so let me just quickly go over it. What are the what is the gospel? You can summarize it in five key questions. Who is God? Our God is the creator of all things, including everything that we see, this entire universe, as we saw in Genesis chapter one. And not only did God create everything, but he was so loving to the second question, who are we? What is humanity? To humanity, only us out of all of his grand, majestic creation, only us have we have the privilege of bearing the image of God. Of having this intimate relationship with God. Also, God gave us dominion over everything. Over the sky, over the waters, over the dry land, over the living creatures. All these different things. God bestowed his precious creation that he has so much pride over into our hands. But then the third question is, what is the problem? The problem is sin. And sin is, we essentially said to God, thanks but no thanks. Yes, we are privileged. We are the pinnacle of your creation. We bear your image and you want to have an intimate relationship with us. And you have bestowed your precious creation into our custody. But guess what, God? Thanks, but no thanks. Instead, I want to live my life my own way. And that is sin. One succinct way of defining sin is our tendency to suppress, distort, reject God's character and his involvement. God wants us to rule over the world in relationship with him specifically in response to his character and his involvement, but instead we severed that tie and we said, hey, we want to do things our own way. And therefore, it's unsurprising that this world is in the shape that it's in. So what is the solution? The fourth question, the fourth basic food group is God sent his one and only son to die for our sin. So Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, we celebrated this during Easter. He walked in our shoes, he wore our flesh, and he bore our cross, he died our death, and he paid for our sinful tendency. So that by his death, our God, who is loving but at the same time holy, his judgment was all placed on Jesus and not on us. And on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. He gave us his spirit so that we are now united with Christ. So that every single day, we can live in this reality more and more. And it's, un, it's unnatural in many ways. Because we are so by default thinking sinfully. We are by default thinking without God's character, without God's involvement. But the Holy Spirit enables us to progressively be more aware of His character and His involvement. And that leads to the fifth question, fifth basic food group of the gospel. Is ultimately, the gospel is not to benefit you. Is not to benefit me, not to benefit us, but ultimately, the gospel is to glorify and bring honor to God. That's the gospel. Now, when we think about routine and the gospel, I hope you are able to understand that there are some really important things that we all need to reflect upon. And here I just want to emphasize sin. What is sin? I just defined it. Sin is suppressing, distorting, or rejecting God's character and involvement. What does sin have to do with our routine? Is you can be as successful as you want. You can be Jane Austen. You can be Barack Obama. You can be, the, you can be part of the 5 a.m. club. It doesn't matter. If you are doing your routine without thinking about God's character and involvement in your life, that's sin. 
Look it up, Romans 14, 23. Me, as a pastor, I'll be honest with you. I can have my routine to a T. I can be so productive. My sermons can be killers, all these different things. I can be just knocking out of the park week in and week out. But if I am doing my routine without thinking about God's character and his involvement, is that worship to God? No. It might be benefiting me, but it's not glorifying to God. And purpose, again, the purpose is to glorify God. For example, the opposite of sin. How do we glorify God instead of suppressing, distorting, rejecting God's character and involvement? Worshiping, glorifying God is embracing, acknowledging, and submitting to God's character and involvement in every aspect of our lives, including the way we do routine, especially since routine is inherent. To God's own character. And I understand for many of us to live like this, it's difficult. I think for some of us who've been Christians, there are moments, there are seasons in your life where, yes, you remember, I remember that season where I was truly doing everything in response to God's character and his involvement, but it's so hard for me to live like that on a day to day basis. Is that really practical? Especially with my manager breathing down my neck. And yes, it is practical. That is why the power of the Spirit lives in us. And that is why union with Christ is so important. Although it is practical, because this is what the gospel is about, living in the gospel, it is unnatural. It's going to take us all of our lifetime to get used to this new gospel living reality. But it doesn't mean that even though it's unnatural, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try because this is precisely what the gospel is about. Otherwise, we are just like that petulant child at Starbucks, just living our life, just trying to benefit ourselves. Um, you know, as far as this benefit worship distinction, I, I do want to quickly mention the order matters very much. So it's not like we benefit ourselves and somehow God will be indirectly worshiped and glorified by that. It doesn't work in that order. The order is, as we worship God, as we glorify Him, as we honor Him by acknowledging His character and involvement in our lives, even in the area of routine, then we actually experience the greatest amount of our own benefits. And that's going to be a key thing that I want us to think about throughout the sermon series, is as you fix your eyes on God, honoring him that's when we actually experience the greatest benefits true joy true peace true disciplined life where we are mastering our own schedules mastering our own time is because we are responding to his own character his own involvement in our lives uh, i know i touched upon a lot of things so we're gonna wrap it up um like i mentioned if you have any questions please do not hesitate to ask all of these are anonymous and I also understand as we wrap it up and have a time of response that we have some people all over the spectrum. There might be non-Christians. There may be people who are a little skeptical about everything that I said. People who have not yet understood or submitted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, please don't look at this as a judgment. But the first part of the sermon, hopefully that actually helped you. Where routine can be beneficial towards you. But to those who are Christians and to those who say that you submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ... I want us to reflect upon this idea. Routine or any other area of life 
Why are you doing the things that you're doing? And is it really to benefit yourself or is it to honor and glorify God to really respond to his character and his involvement in our lives? So I just want us to reflect upon that um, before I lead us into another um, practical prayer topic.